to Saladcast, a financial special with Ant Thomas. Hi, Ant, how are you doing? Hi, Ollie. Yeah, I'm good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast again. So it's about a year um, since you were last on the podcast and where we're talking about um, finance again. So welcome back on the podcast. Um, and yeah, you've reviewed um, the latest set of accounts. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So um, the club released their, their accounts quite recently. So it was a good opportunity for me to review it and try and turn the accountancy chat and the, the different language that's used by accountants and boring people like me into stuff that, uh, that everyone can understand. Cool. So what set of accounts are we talking about here? Yeah, that's, it's a good starting question because um, accounts review historical information. So companies have nine months from their year ends to publish their accounts, which means that most of them are going to be at least nine months out of date. Um, so for Shrewsbury Town, they have a junior ends like most football clubs, and that matches in with when the season and players' contracts end. And so we're looking at the year ended 30th of June 2019, which represents the 1819 season. Um, so that was last season, being when John Askey started the season as manager and Sam Ricketts ended the season as manager. Cool. So, yeah, that's good, good context in terms of manager and season. Um, and then, yeah, well, there'll be a few interesting um, additions in terms of asset sales and things like that, which we'll come on to. Um, yeah. So, you know, you've got you've got everyone's attention just for, say, 30 seconds. Um, how would you like summarise like the accounts um, as a as a bit of a kind of a summary? An executive summary? Yeah. So so the key thing for this year is Shrewsbury made a, a big profit in the year. And that was largely driven by some transfer fees that we uh, received in the year, which was a, a considerable amount. Um, other key things to notice is the cash position remains very strong. There's no borrowings in the club. We still own our own ground. Um, overall, I mean, Shrewsbury are probably the most financially secure club off their own backs in, in the whole of the Football League. Um, it's, it's a very boring set of accounts, but that's in the very nicest possible way because they are, they are so clean um, and, and we should all be very proud of that. Yeah, I think it's, a, um, it's an interesting point and something I'm, I'm sure I'll come on to when I have my, my catch up with Kieran is that Shooter Town fans, and you'll know this because you've done a lot of um, fan um, media over the years, um, do you think there's been a change in kind of perception and opinion of Shrewsbury Town in terms of finances? Yeah, I do. I think it's, it's taken a, a long time for that to happen and and for me, if you look over the, really the period that, that Roland Witchley has been chairman for, which started in 1996, I believe, um, that's when we were at the Gay Meadow. We were still in League One, but about to go out of League One into League Two. And it was at that period that the club really started to focus on becoming more financially solvent and being able to trade off its own back. And that meant, you know, reducing expenses, becoming more efficient, managing its cash day-to-day -day far more effectively. And what we've seen over the last 20, 25 years is that bit by bit, the club has improved its cash position. You know, it, it managed to turn from a position of having a overdraft and bank loans into none of those and just having cash in the bank. Um, it's obviously moved to a new stadium and it owns its own stadium. And it's been able to build those cash reserves, invest in the club, the infrastructure of the club, increase the amount of um, budget it's got on the playing side of things pretty significantly um, and I think the fans now appreciate why that's been done 
Um, at the start, it was very easy for sports to go, why aren't we spending lots of money on the players? Because that's how we're going to get promoted. Um, to now people saying, well, we can see the, the strategy of the club to improve our financial position and how that can improve us in the long term and make us more competitive in the long term. Um, and that makes us more sustainable rather than an attempt to, to go for boom, which so many clubs have done. And the vast majority of them have, have ended up going bust. Yeah, no, no, definitely. Definitely agree with that. And as a fan, yeah, I think we saw that um, when there was the announcement for the April pay and that the club weren't going to furlong any staff. There was a lot of fans being very, very, very positive. Um, and very rarely yeah. now do you hear about fans saying, let's go and spend loads of money on a, on a striker. We'd all love another Grand Holt. But um, I think we're all quite fair. But I guess at the same time, actually, in defence of the club, but, you know, that statement suggests we're not spending money. We are still spending money, but it's prudent. Um, you know, look at the and interesting. We'll, we'll come to player sales at some point in terms of the highlights. You know, you sign John Nolan for 50k, um, and then you sell it to Ipswich for a, for quite a big profit. Um, and I guess maybe that's a good place to start. So, if it wasn't for player sales, um, would that have quite a, would the accounts look quite different? Yeah, so if it, if it wasn't for that three plus million that we got in player sales and the, the profit we've made on that, then there would have been a loss recorded in the accounts. Um, now, the way I look at this is is to say Shrewsbury would have known about those player sales quite early in the season, right? Because they, a big majority of them would have related to the salon fees we had for Connor Goldson, um, Ryan Woods, and then also the sales of Inciala and John Nolan twips which were, which were right at the start of the season and I want I want people at home to think about this like if you if you're fortunate enough that you get a bonus in your salary at some point in the year then say say you get a bonus in August which is equivalent to selling a player like John Nolan or, or Toto Inciala you're going to then spend that money um, or some of it in the subsequent months that come forward so you're going to say right I've got this bonus I might use it to do my garden up or I might use it to um, you know get some new tires on my cars etc and you're likely then to spend that money in future periods and so when it comes to December for example and you're buying the kids Christmas presents you might actually have more expenditure in December than you have income coming in but that's because you've got that cash in the bank already um, from previous months and that's what Shrewsbury have done here they've said yeah we, we've got a massive amount in relevant to the club in terms of transfer fees earlier in, in that period we're going to use that to invest in the playing squad um, for the rest of the season yeah no it's, it's an interesting it's interesting one the player sales uh, because it's a little bit of a speculation um, to accumulate um, and I think it's also maybe just worth Ant explaining so if um, Shooter Town sell a player let's just make up a player we sell a player for half a million how quickly do we get that money yeah that's that's a good question Ollie and it's it's a commercial it's a commercial negotiation so um, when Shrewsbury or any club sell a player to another team there are a number of things that form part of the negotiation between the selling club and the buying club. Um, you've got your transfer fee, which is the headline number. You've got a sell-on clause or any other parts of the contract. So when Shrewsbury sold Joe Hart, they had an initial amount that they received, you know, pretty much on day one. They then said up to a certain number of appearances will receive £5,000 per appearance. Um, they then had a, a clause that said, and if he goes to play for England, then we'll get another lump sum as well. You can add on a sell-on fee as well. 
And then the other part of that is saying, well, when do we actually receive the cash? So we might have said to Ipswich, yes, we'll agree to a, um, we'll accept a, a certain level of fee if we receive the cash now. Or we might have said, well, we'll we need a higher fee if we're going to receive the cash in three or six or nine or 12 months time. And actually what you see from this, this set of accounts is that um, Shrewsbury at the year end, we have this thing in the accounts called debtors in the balance sheet. And debtors are amounts of money owed to a business, in, in this case, the football club. And you'll see that at 30th of June, 2019, that was over two million pounds for Shrewsbury. Okay. Um, so that means that's, that's cash they're going to receive in the, in the subsequent um, period. Essentially. Okay. And that's good because, well, one, obviously, the situation we're in now, but it also helps the club um, to balance your books. You know, a lot of people play football manager and you get the money straight away, which means you can spend mm. it straight away. But actually, from an accountant point of view, it, um, you know, it's good to have that money coming in as, as a cash flow. And, and obviously, the club can then actually give the manager quite a, not a realistic budget because they know the budget, but they can prudently forecast their, their expenditure and plan that. Yeah, that's exactly right. So what, what they would have been doing um, at 30th of June going into the current season is to say, we've got a fairly good idea what our revenue is going to be from gate receipts um, and from the Football League, because we can probably forecast what attendances are going to be. We have a good idea how many season tickets we've sold. But then we also know that we've got amounts in the bank that we're prepared to use a certain amount of, and also these debtors that we're expecting to receive you know, at some point in the season. So that, that allows them then to say, what can we spend on the playing budget, either through wages or transfer fees, without putting the club in jeopardy? Yeah, so you just maybe think of something as well, um, because football has some quite unique rules around it. Um, and if a club was to go into administration, but they owed us money, we'd actually be quite, we'd be f not first, but up there with the players on the list in terms of getting paid. So that's quite yes. important to note as well. Yeah, right. That's right. And, and actually going back to those commercial negotiations, the club would have, depending on who they were dealing with, that would then um, kind of feed into those negotiations. So if you were dealing with a Manchester City, who you know are backed by some extremely wealthy individuals and who, who could pay, you know, to, us, to them, a million pounds, for example, would be a small amount. They could pay it to a sort of drop of a hat. Whereas, say we were negotiating 12 months ago with Berry over a mainstream player, we'd probably say to Berry, look, we know what financial position you're in. You need to pay us now before we sell you this player. Um, so that goes into the, the negotiations as well. Okay, so here's a, here's a, here's a, a random question. Um, so you're the finance director of a Premier League football club. Would you prefer to get all the money in one go? So say you sell a player for 10 million, would you rather have 10 million in one go? Or would you rather have four instalments over four years of 2.5 million? Well, ca cash is king and cash now is worth more than cash in four years time because of inflation, right? So yeah. if, if, anyone, if anyone ever asked you in the street, I could give you 10 pounds now or 10 pounds in a year's time, you will say, give it to me now. Um, yeah. And as a finance director, I would always prefer the, the money in now. The only, the only reason that would change is that if someone said, I can give you four million pounds now for a player, or actually I'll give you six million, but we're going to spread it over three years. Now I would then say, well, is it a club I expect to be able to pay that? Um, if so, I'm, I might say I'd rather the six million across three years, but those are the kind of things you'd consider. Yeah, and they're the things that Brian Cordwell discusses uh, with other clubs. Um, and I think it's just interesting, they're the, the 
I guess the, the sexier parts of the, of the accounts in terms of the transfer fees and how we get the money in. Yeah. Um, so that's so that's that's really good. So, yeah, is there anything to add on that point, or until we maybe move on yeah. to the next question? No. So the only thing I'd add is is looking forward to the next year's account. So 30th of June 2020. I expect there is a reasonable chance that the club may make a loss in those accounts. The reason being that the the revenue you know, it's likely to remain reasonably stable. So your revenue from season ticket sales and match tickets and TV and broadcasting rights, etc. You hope it does. Yeah, you would hope it does. But I mean, we having haven't experienced most of the season so far. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you're talking about this season now. Yeah, I always get tricked by the, yeah, the accounts. Yeah, the season yeah. That we're in now, the se- two seasons in ahead, it could be a totally different story. Yes, that's right. But for this season, I expect yeah. that they know that revenue. But because they've got that cash in the bank, plus the debtors that they're expecting to receive in this current season, the, the club may have said we can afford to spend a little bit more on wages and players' fees. So yeah. we may well see a loss for the accounts to the 30th of June 2020. But that is not necessarily means that the club's in trouble or no. that they're insolvent. It just means that the club are using those resources and the, the cash they've got to um, to improve the, the playing budget. And just to kind of yeah, build on that, we'll get the Liverpool money or the lack of Liverpool money um, in, the yeah. ne- in the next set of accounts. Um, yes, that's so, right, yeah, which could cool. have been a lot more, obviously. Yeah. So um, so then building on that then, so you were saying, it's one of my questions, so Shrewsbury have a reserve? Yeah, that's, that's right. So if you look at the cash levels in the in the accounts. Um, I mean, I've, I've got a graph in front of me here, which shows that for the last five, six, seven, eight, nine, for the last 10 years, well, in fact, for longer than that, the, for the last 13 years, we've had at least a million in the bank at every year end. Um, that's gone up more recently in the last few seasons to, to over two and a half million in the bank. And, and that's a very prudent place to be. Again, applying it to a household position, um, the guidance might my dad always gave me is try and have three months worth of wages in the bank just in case you lose your job or you know you, you get hit by a car and you and you can't work um, and the club are in a position where they've got an amount in the bank so that they, they can still pay salaries and keep the club running even in a period of um, like, like we're experiencing at the moment with COVID-19. Yeah the, the cash one is interesting because um, the way that the income comes in so your season tickets come in uh, and you obviously you you know you agree at certain deals, um, but obviously season tickets being quite an important part. Um, to say that we've got money in the bank when the accounts are done doesn't necessarily mean we'll have the same amount in December, does it? Or or February, for example. Towards the end of the season, yeah, that's right. Yeah. I mean, the reason season tickets are so beneficial is that people pay up front and you've got the cash, right? And they are even if they decide half the way through the season or oh, I'm not going next week it doesn't matter you you've still been paid for it whereas your casual attendee on a on a match day is is likely to be or, or certainly some of them impacted by the weather or how shoes we're doing in the league etc um but you're right and I think one of the big issues and I'm sure you'll you'll come on to discuss this with Kieran is with COVID-19 is the time of the season it, it came it's towards the end of the season when clubs historically were we're probably starting to run out of cash anyway, because it's it's as far away as possible before season ticket income starts coming in. So, uh, you know, really challenging time for a lot of clubs. 
yeah no it's it's certainly um, a challenge uh, let's hold covid19 and um, to the end let's come back to that because i think that's an important place to to look forward in terms of the, the financial situation for shrewsbury um, but looking at the, the current set of accounts uh, what would you say are the biggest differences between um this set of accounts and the, the, the set of accounts um before them and maybe one thing i did notice that the turnover was was less yeah so obviously we've talked about transfer fees which by way and beyond are the, the, the biggest change year on year, given the, you know, the value of those transfer fees. So revenue is down on the previous season. Um, we can see a split of that in the accounts, but it doesn't give details on what the, you know, what the individual transactions are behind that. Um, we can probably be quite sensible and, and look at last season versus the season before and try and pick out some key things there. So the season before, we had a, a great season under Paul Hurst. We had two Wembley finals. Um, we had we also had an extra home game, which you know people had to pay ticket you know the full ticket price for, even if they were season ticket holders. And actually, you know those games would have been televised. Um, that you would have had some sundry income around extra merchandise sales, all that kind of stuff. And actually, between them, those those three games, Charlton home and away, or four games, Charlton home and away, Rotherham in the final, and Lincoln in the, the checker trade final, would have brought in a, a reasonable amount between them. So I don't think it's it's hugely unexpected that the revenue did go down a little bit year on year. So you think maybe in a couple of years' time, uh, when we look back, this, um, this set of accounts of 2018 might be a bit of an outlier in terms of income? Yeah, I, you know, not we're not talking millions of difference, but you know, there is a when Shrewsbury had a good season in the league and getting to the playoffs clearly have a big impact, as do cup runs as well. Now this season at the moment, the nineteen twenty season, we've had another good cup run, um, as you mentioned, Liverpool and Bristol City, etc. So it may be the revenues year on year um, when you compare an eighteen nineteen with nineteen twenty aren't so significantly different. Cool, cool. Um, then the line below turnover is an interesting one, so the cost of sales. Um, I'm looking at that. Does that mean that we actually spent more money on players, on wages in the ASCII season than the Hearst season? Yeah, so the, so the really interesting note to the accounts is the, the wages and salaries note. And this, this really explains how much is spent by the club on, on employee costs. And, and whilst this does involve non-playing staff as well, it's usually a good guide as to, to what we're spending on um, on players. Has got year on year. Um, if you compare, you know, the most recent amount that was 4.1 million versus 3.8 in the, the previous season, so that is an increase. Just as an aside, looking back to um, the 2004-2005 season when it was our first season back in the football league after our hiatus into the conference as it was at the time the amount we spent that year was 1.4 million on players wow. on players right so it's gone up from 1.4 million to 4.1 million which is i mean that's incredible so yeah. anyone who anyone who has any slither of doubt in their mind that the move to the new stadium the way the club's being run now you know hasn't helped our playing budget is bonkers basically yeah. we've seen a massive increase over time in terms of what we spend on players. Um, in terms of last year versus the Paul Hurst season, there are some things to consider, um, such as we changed our manager last season. And quite often in, in football, when you change your manager, you have some termination 
payments to make the John Askey and his, his coaching team. Um, and there was also a considerable um, turnaround of turnover of players in that season um, because of players moving on, um, et cetera. And, and that would incur some cost as well. So it may be that we weren't paying on average players more, but we just had some additional costs that are, are one-off compared to the previous season. Yeah, I think that's, you raised a lot of good points there because as soon as you see um, total cost of sales going up, uh, which for a football club is mostly wages, you think, ah, okay, so John Askey had more money to spend, therefore he should have done better than hers. But yeah, you're right. You've got, I guess, the agent fees and things like that come under here as well, potentially. Um, they wouldn't go into wages and salaries. I mean, in terms of cost of sales? Would... Yes, yeah, that's right, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of things. The turbulence um, and long-term planning and having a sticking with a manager um, has financial implications. Yeah, it ones. does. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, I mean, it's obvious, right? If you stick with a manager and hopefully that's going to bring confidence in the manager and the players, there's going to be less turnover. Um, hopefully that's going to lead, that stability is going to help build some success on the pitch. And you're right, there's going to be, uh, or you'd hope there'd be a less, a lower number of turnover of players off the pitch as well. Yeah, because it's, it's, it's it's interesting, isn't it? Because you could say, okay, let's sack the manager, let's sack the manager. But the new manager comes in, potentially has less money to spend. Um, yeah, so he's actually irony, potentially, yes. potentially going to do worse. Yeah, I was just nearly used the word irony. I wasn't sure if it really was irony, but I'll go with you. Yeah, it is because, yeah, you, you sign a new manager and you expect him to do better, but potentially you've actually hindered your, your playing budget. Yeah, it's, it's, a real, it's a real challenge, isn't it, to, to get that balance right? Yep. Um, is there anything else that, like worth like like really kind of drawing on in the accounts? Is there anything that you know from an asset point of view or investments um, that was worth? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we talk about wages and employee costs. The other, the other one. Sometimes people don't make this um, this association correctly. Is that the other big cost well, for some clubs is transfer fees? And actually, when you think about playing budget you've got to balance those two things as a manager you're thinking what can i spend on transfer fees and what can i spend on wages and salaries and actually you know to get a good feel as to what total playing budget is available to the manager i think you've got to consider both of those elements now in football accounts what happens is when you pay money for a player you recognize that as an asset on your balance sheet so it should be pay let's say a hundred thousand pounds for a player and that they sign them on a two-year contract the way you account for that is you say we have an asset worth a hundred thousand pounds and we're going to reduce the value of that asset over two years so you've got a hundred thousand pounds here after one year you reduce it to fifty thousand and after two years you reduce it to to nil essentially um, but what you can see from the accounts is how much paid in the year um, for for players' contracts or for, for transfer fees. Um, and in the year to um, June 2020, that was around half a million pounds. So that is, for, for anyone who thinks Shrewsbury don't pay transfer fees, we're certainly not paying the level that Sunderland do for the likes of Will Grigg. Um, <laughs> but, but there's certainly an investment there as well as what we're paying um, on wages and salaries. Does that give you any, any insight into kind of the value of the squad? No, I mean, yes and no. I mean, a, a player's only worth as much as someone's willing to pay for them. But yeah. the, the weird thing with accounting, and this 
this applies to other industries as well as football is you can't you don't add a value on your balance sheet for players you've brought through yourselves so Shrewsbury imagine you've got two players right and, and someone like Barcelona are a great example of this okay if Barcelona bring Lionel Messi through their own academy his value on the balance sheet is zero okay which sounds obscene doesn't it because we all know that Lionel Messi is worth an awful lot more than that but you can't prove what he's worth that's that's the thinking there whereas if they bought Cristiano Ronaldo for 100 million his value on the balance sheet would be 100 million and it's the same with any any football club you've got players who you know John Nolan would be a good example Shrewsbury bought in for a teeny amount of money we you know we're led to believe and then sold him for over a million so it's hard to see what the actual value of the squad is in, in totality yeah, no, it's it's interesting. It's yeah, it just shows that we are spending money on players. Um, and yeah, obviously we could we can we can think of those players that potentially we've we spent fees on. Um, but yeah, obviously as you say, so I guess another advantage of, of bringing your own players players through. Um, any yeah. other comments um, on the on the sale? Um, oh, sorry, on the, on the on the accounts. Yeah, the, I guess the other interesting transaction that happened in the year was the power league pitches and and buildings there. So that had previously been leased by Power League um, from the club. And then that was returned to the club in the year because you know Power League, it was well documented, they were in some financial distress and needed to do that. Um, and the club have brought those onto their balance sheet now. Um, and what the accounts do show there is that they had an exercise from some professional valuers done. Um, and it shows that there was considerable value to those buildings and pitches and, and the land there. Um, which shows that it was probably a really good commercial de deal for the club, that they've essentially got some assets worth over half a million for, for nothing. Okay, so either, yeah, a good deal for the club or a bad deal for Power League, however you look at it. Or, uh, <laughs> So um, and so in terms of in terms of income and obviously the fans' impact on the club, um, how much of our income um, comes from from the fans um, and directly in terms of turn sales and ticket receipts? So so what you can see from the accounts is so our, our turnover in totality, excluding player sales, was um, five point four million, and ticket sales represented just under two million of that. Um, we've also got in there. Uh, football league income, which will be, you know, negotiated TV deals, etc., of 1.5 million, and what they call sundry income of a million, which th there's no other details given, but uh, one could guess that is things like money made from cup runs, t other TV appearances, etc. Um, so the ticket sales are significant, but as you can see, that there are biggest elements of revenue, but they still make up less than half of, of total revenue, which really shows how um, you know, money, etc., is still important for clubs at our level. Yeah, because yeah, you, you think of the Premier League, and yeah, it's obvious at that level that um, income from TV um, is is dwarfs that of, especially if you think of a club like Bournemouth. Which are basically basically would have very similar accounts to Shrewsbury if we were in Premier League. Um, yeah. yeah, their income there for Tiffid Gates. So it's interesting, isn't it? When fans say yeah. um, the players, the fans pay their wage, they only pay half of it. <laughs> yeah, less than half. I mean, yeah. interesting. The Premier League. I've, I've not looked at this season's um, numbers, but 
um, last season or last season when West Brom finished bottom, the, the Premier League do list out how much clubs were paid for the TV deal and they also get uh, prize money for where they finished in the in the league and the, they split it out by club and the, the highest earners in that particular season were the, the two Manchester clubs and they got about 150 million each essentially for just for being in the Premier League and, and doing what they do. West Brom finished rock bottom of the division they got relegated. They received from the Premier League, but just essentially competing in the Premier League, nearly ninety-five million pounds. Yeah, which I mean, makes them one of those. Which makes them one of the richest clubs in Europe in income that year. It's crazy, right? And now let's compare that to. So they finished twentieth in the, the football league pyramid. Shrewsbury finished twenty. I'd say twenty-seven places below them that season. But there was a difference in income. Of nearly 90 million pounds, just and that's our total revenue for that season, six million versus that 95 million that West Brom received, um, and that just goes to show. Had we got promoted, I mean, uh, we'd then be playing West Brom, who were already at a huge, huge advantage, and it just goes to show the the haves and the haves nots in the the football world in in the UK. I mean, 27 places in the league difference and. You know, almost a hundred million difference in income. I mean, it's it's just crazy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it is crazy. The mind boggles, and, and if you kind of goes about... to show, you know, how how well, in, in my opinion, and this is an opinion, how well Shrewsbury do to compete um, in League One, and, and certainly if we can compete at the top end of League One, that that is a a really good achievement. Yeah, we were talking about the um, Wigan-Blackburn um, comparison last time we were doing the podcast and, and now we've even got a better one because of this set of accounts. Um, I think Sunderland spent £16 million on player wages that year, um, yeah. which a lot of it was dead money because they were paying off players and things like that. But yeah, it just goes to show that um, League, even League One um, has a, a ripple effect from the Premier League with bad, bad, bad finances. Um, and yeah. and the, the scale of the, the, the breadth of income between Sunderland or, or player wages, Sunderland down to Atherton Stanley is just unbelievable. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't it? It'd be really interesting to see what the world looks like post-COVID-19 in the football yeah. world and whether this actually is some kind of reset um, yeah. for football clubs and the way they operate. Yeah, it would be very interesting. And I think there's a good point as well, a point I like to kind of point out. Um, do any of our directors, um, including the chairman, take a wage or dividends out of the club? No, they don't at all, and they never have. And um, I mean, I'm, I've always been a big Roland Witchley fan, um, apart from when I managed to annoy him in the early days of <laughs> the fan team. Um, but, you know, he's, he's worked essentially wage-free full-time for the club for... Um, best part of 25 years, which is you know a real credit to, to show well, how much. Yeah. Well, yeah, if he was even to take a modest wage, or say, let's I'm not going to say a number, but if we predict or guess what Brian Caldwell might be on, times that by 25 years. Um, yeah, I think it's fair to say, not to mention the money he's put in. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that the club owe him a huge debt, not just from the money he's put in, but also just the time and effort and the, the hours that yeah. he works um, for the club free of charge. Uh, it's quite yeah, phenomenal. that's right. And, you know, he, he treats the club very much as he is a custodian of a community asset. And it's, it's um, you know, when we were talking before, Ollie, before we started the broadcast about burying, you know, their fans and how they're trying to create the new 
AFC Berry. You know, football clubs, in, in my view, and I think in your view, are community assets and they're there as a way of bringing the community together and, and represent the local community rather than a rich football's placing or, or something where someone can make money out of. Yeah. And um, that's very much how, how Shrewsbury are being run. They're being run for the, for the long-term safety of the football club um, and in a way to try and benefit you know, and utilise our assets the best we can. Yeah, I've, I've never, we don't really talk about this kind of stuff, not on a typical podcast, but yeah, for me, using UK company law for football clubs, for me, is quite um, foolish. Um, they're not companies in their normal sense. One, you know, okay, you could go into the store and buy a Cadbury bar or a Mars bar, or, you know, you have choice. You don't really choose necessarily support as a football club. And also the impact on the community is huge. So, yeah, hopefully yeah. some good can come of the Berry um, situation from an EFL um governance point of view um and yeah before we uh, just to make sure we don't cut off too early is that before we do talk about the future and particularly COVID-19 is there anything worth else highlighting from the accounts I think it's worth saying they're a great set of accounts um, but yeah they are just to add. the only thing that I'd add to this is something that's not really included in these accounts is the work of Shrewsbury Town in the community yep. who uh, you know are very closely associated to the football club but they have their own separate annual report and board um, to ensure that they've got some independence from the football club and i would say anyone who hasn't visited their website or is unaware of what they do um it's an incredible venture it's the, the way that they um you know are involved in the community has grown massively over recent years and, and they've brought a tremendous amount of help to to those who are really in vulnerable positions so so check it out, donate if you can, get involved. And it's just another, it's another string to the bow of Shrewsbury Town in terms of the, the positive impact they have and why we should be so proud of them as, as football fans. Yeah, no, you definitely, and you see that um, just from, yeah, the, the kind of the ambience around the football club and the community is a big part of that. Um, and yeah. and what the players do, and we were also, it must be, it must come up, I'm confident, obviously I don't know this, but I'm confident it must come up when we recruit managers that we there always seems to be a trend don't we? we have managers that are willing um, and players as well who are willing to, to support the community side because it does actually have a commercial impact you know um, Glenn often talks about it on the podcast that his kids um, you know see players and have interaction with players that, that's a fan for the future yeah yeah definitely um, certainly you see that in the community that the closer a feeling between the club and the community the, the better it's going to be supported I think um, you hope that it has that impact with with players as well as managers and and again you know the fact that Shrewsbury are not furloughing their players or deferring wages etc I, I just hope the football playing community as a whole sits up and looks at that and goes wow this is a this is a club that look after their players their staff their community and next time we go in for negotiations with a player that that benefits us and yeah. it's not all about it's not all about money yeah that's a, it's a really good it's a nice segue to kind of look forward um, so, yeah, the Liverpool point would be an interesting part in the next set of accounts. So that's something to look forward to in terms of maybe get a hint of the size of prize. Um, but you mentioned earlier on in the podcast that in the future you think we might make a loss next year. And anything else yeah. you might, any kind of other forecasts or um, that you might make about the next set of accounts? No, just just for people to be wary of, of why that might happen. And that again, that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Um, yeah. It's the same, and just to bring it back to the family finances again, you know, if you've got savings and you know your income is a thousand pounds a month, but you've got five thousand pounds in the bank, and one month you spend 
you know, £750 on a holiday. Um, that doesn't mean that you're in financial distress. It just means that you, you know you've got some money in the bank that you've put away for a holiday and, and now you're choosing to spend it. Yeah. And, and that is the, the same with a football club is um, sometimes people see the headlines of a, a profit or loss and, and they take that as the headline and a thing to focus on. Whereas for the football club and, and any other business, it's about have they got the cash and the resources to continue trading um, and Shrewsbury are, are certainly in the position where they, they have and they can you know, choose to spend a little bit more in future seasons as a result. And oddly, a loss can actually help you in the long term as well in terms of tax, in terms of profitability. You, yes, you, you do. There, there is a potential tax benefit to come from that, yeah. Yeah, cool. So, um, so Shrewsbury Town have got reserves. Um, and we have we don't um, spend obviously there's the rules in the EF um, in, in League One about in terms of uh, how much you can spend you can only spend 60% of your income on wages um, but how would you say Shrewsbury are um, set to handle this 19 uh, COVID-19 crisis obviously today is the 24th of April and we yeah. don't know when um, this crisis will end but um, so yeah, obviously it's hard to make a prediction now when we don't know when the first game back will be, what a momentous yeah. occasion that will be. Um, so yeah, just as a kind of as a general kind of overview, if, if you know fans are wondering how how, how do you think um, the club is looking going into this crisis? Um, well, I think it's going to negatively impact every football club. Um, yeah. we know because they're not getting some additional revenue in from you know those individual match goers. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty as well. Like if, if, if Shrewsbury got over a million pounds in revenue for the EFL last year, the EFL will also have a lot of uncertainty about their, their future cash flow as well, because how are they going to be able to negotiate TV rights um, or when they get paid from the TV companies if the product being live football is not, is not shown? So for every football club, there's going to be a, a negative impact and um, a lot of uncertainty. Shrewsbury are in a undoubtedly a much, much stronger position than other football league clubs because they've got cash in the bank. Um, and if, if we look at the position at 30th of June 2019, they had almost three million pounds in the bank. They had another two and a half, three million pounds due from um, debtors, which likely would have paid a, a fair chunk of that before COVID hit. And then if you look at how much they spend on wages, which is three and a half to four million pounds a year, generally, you would say, well, they've probably got that in the bank. They've probably got a year's worth of wages and salaries um, available to, to be paid. And therefore, looking forward, they've probably got a, a good runway where even if no other income came in, they could continue to pay their staff. And that's before any you know, support from the government, et cetera. Yeah. Um, I suspect there are other clubs that maybe had, rather than 12 months worth of runway, they had 12 weeks or yeah. four or weeks. less. Because yeah, there's two they, clubs that didn't, nearly, didn't pay wages in February, and that's Southend yeah. and Macclesfield. Mm. So there, there's going to be an awful lot of clubs that are, are really biting their nails as to, to what this means. Um, yeah. So, from so do you think Shrews... Yeah. yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was, was going to I guess you probably, I think you were going to go there anyway. I think Shrewsbury could benefit from a pandemic is, is a bit crude, but um, in terms of um, attracting players, maybe we might be in a better place. Yeah, I think it's, it's all relative, isn't it? So they're, they're going to be negatively impacted. There's a lot of uncertainty, but um, they are 
relatively far more in a, in a far stronger position than lots and lots of clubs. Um, are they going to benefit from it? I, I hope so. Being selfish as a shoes be found, I hope that um, players are looking at this going, my contract's going to end 30th of June. I've maybe been approached by Shrewsbury. They told me that if I sign, then you know I'm going to get my wages from 1st of July, and there's not a problem with that. And actually, I'm going to choose them over you know, a club that are promising me the earth, but actually, are they going to deliver on it? Yeah, yeah I don't and in two so. years' time, you know, you're not going to have that conversation with your wife um, about your mortgage and stuff, because, yeah, while, you know, players yeah. at our level are earning good money, you know, for, for, yeah. for, for, for you know, they haven't got, um, you know, they, they've, from the age of 16, started a career, um, they haven't gone to college, not a plumber, they're not, a, they haven't got a trade as such, so football's their trade, you yeah. know, they, they earn a good wage, but let's remember, you know, they've still got bills to pay, mortgages to pay, they're not, not signing four million pounds signing on fees, um, these yeah, are, right. guys are, um, you know, so it's going to be interesting how that plays out. Yeah, and, and I also think contract negotiations with existing players. So if you've got players who are out of contract at 30th of June, or maybe they've only got one year left, then the club are in a strong position if they can say, sign up to us now, you know we're going to pay you, um, let's get the deal done. Yeah. Um, and similar in, in the industry that, that I'm in, we see we generally have a fairly high turnover of uh, people as they go through their accountancy exams but actually we know that in periods of recession or um, global economic crisis people tend to stick stick around with the, the businesses that they know are going to get their wages to them they don't want to take the risk of of moving and it'll be really interesting to see if that's the same in football and we may well see a, a real a really a really big depression or suppression in the the transfer market whenever yeah. The football season does does start again. Yeah, I think transfer fees are probably going to be non-existent at our level going forward. Um, I think it'll be interesting to see if there's yeah, extra players um, in higher leagues dropping down in terms of yeah. um, in terms of players. Yeah. And I think it'd be interesting as well because football and football players are so closely linked. You know, talking to each other. You know, I'm sh I get the impression that most players talk to other players of other clubs before they join clubs. Yeah. And I imagine maybe the, the reputation of Shrewsbury is going to be quite strange. It's not strange. He's very solid. You saw on Ollie Norburn tweet out, you know, when they did the yeah. furlough point, he tweeted out that um, they, he was proud of that. And, you know, other football yeah. players would have seen that. Yeah, and, and I think as well, just thinking about clubs that will need to cut their cloth and, and pay less, you can, you know, stop signing players for, you know, bigger wages and, and what have you. But the easiest way to reduce your wage bill is to have less players. And so what you might find as well is that player, uh, clubs that have traditionally had 20, 25 players in the squad might say, well, actually, we're going to operate with a squad of 18 players or, or 19 or 20 players. So we might have a, an influx of free agents in the market as well, um, which is, you said, they won't attract a transfer fee, um, maybe willing to negotiate more on, on their salaries. So again, there, there may be an opportunity for Shrewsbury to, to pick up some players that they previously wouldn't have had the opportunity to get or or maybe a when to sign that that chose to use um, to join other clubs yeah it would certainly be interesting to ask these kind of questions to Kieran particularly in relation to championship wages and that'd be something yeah. that'd be interesting to, to, to discuss with him um, yeah well I think that's, that's probably the biggest bonkers of a league financially yeah. in, in the world isn't it the championship yeah. so he'll it have is some mad. fascinating views on that 
yeah no i do like the yeah as we, we played bristol city ourselves i do find it the bristol city story quite funny they spent 120 million to stay in the same place it's um yeah it's, it's, yeah, it's yeah. just farming it's crazy isn't it cool yeah thanks for joining us on the podcast and anything else to, before you before we kind of close off anything else to add no. No, always a pleasure, Ollie. Like your t-shirt. Yeah. And uh, yeah, <laughs> this, this is actually a negotiation. This is a result of a negotiation. I got this free <laughs> of charge um, in, in, in for advertising um, something. So yeah, um, all about all about all about negotiation. Yeah, exactly. So um, big thanks for joining, and thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Fingers crossed, I'll see you at a football game soon, and hopefully um, we will get to play when it's all safe. Um, hopefully, your family and friends and everyone are well. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's a, an, a, an interesting time. There's Siri. Siri does this all the time. I didn't say anything to Siri, did I? But there we go. <laughs> They're always um, listening. Yeah. yeah. So big thank you, John. Uh, big thank you for joining the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Dolly. Stay safe, mate. Speak to you soon. Cheers. Missed. Now can Gosling provide? No! Scott Howey saves his third successive penalty. So welcome to Salocast, Kieran. Thank you for joining us. So we've got Kieran Maguire, who's a lecturer at Liverpool University um, and a football, I don't know, how do you say it? A football finance, I won't say that word, um, kind of expert on football finance. There we go, I said it. <laughs> Thanks for joining us, Kieran. You're welcome. Glad to be here. So we're talking here to talk about specifically about Shrewsbury Town. So Shrewsbury Town's accounts, uh, which we've just covered with Ant, um, but really maybe you can help us with a bit of context, you know, how special are Shrewsbury Town's accounts, um, maybe a bit of context in League One, um, a step to the Championship, and then maybe just a bit at the end, maybe talk about COVID-19, if that's okay. Sure, absolutely. Brilliant. So um, just so you've have seen Shrewsbury Town's accounts, I'm sure, I'm sure as soon as those accounts are put on Companies House, they wing their way into your inbox. Um, so how do Shrewsbury's accounts compare with the rest of League One? Um, they are certainly top quartile. Uh, yeah, it, a, a lot depends on how do you measure a football club. Do you measure it through its income? Do you measure it through its profit on a day-to-day -day basis? Do you take into account its ability to um, spot and develop talent and sell it on at a profit? Um, but I... I I have quite a lot of contacts now with, with people sort of vaguely connected with the game. Um, and certainly from what I hear in, in terms of League One and League Two, Shrewsbury is the model that others are trying to follow. If you've got progressive boards of directors who want to run a football club in a way which is sustainable. You know, the ultimate aim is that if you see yourself as a custodian of, of the club and as somebody that wants to you know, develop, ideally take it forward without being, without being a sugar daddy, then, then the Shrews are without doubt uh, the, the template for other clubs to follow. Uh, Burton Albion are probably yeah. the other one in, in the lower really two divisions, uh, which, which I have extreme uh, affection for in the sense of they, they don't try to live beyond their means. And, and it's exactly the same with Shrewsbury. Uh, you know, I've, I've been there as an away fan uh, with Brighton with some great days out and some terrible days out as, as it should be. Um, yeah. But uh, it, it's, uh, it, it's, a, it, it's a proper football club in the sense it's, it's uh, the, the centre of the community. Um, it, it is an institution with, within and it gives people identity. And I think all the, there's lots of positives about it. Um, and what I like about it from, from, a, from a financial point of view is that it, it doesn't live beyond its means. Having said that, you know, last year, it would have made a loss had it not been for player sales. Um, yeah. And I think that's sort of uh, indicative. You know, it would have lost around about one and a half million pounds. 
um, but it did have sort of uh, uh, you know, sell-on fees from the likes of Connor Goldson. It sold some other players, and on the back of that, it, it managed to turn a, you know, a pretty impressive uh, 2.3 million pound profit. Yeah, and that's the inter- interesting part, isn't it? Because you know, if you like, I work for Mavitis. Um, you know, we know we're going to sell X amount of biscuits in Tesco's and stuff within a, a range of percentage, obviously. Um, yeah, managing a football club finance is pretty, um, pretty difficult. Because, yeah, we've we signed John Nolan for 50K, apparently, from Chesterfield, and then sold him on to Ipswich for a million pound, um, along with Toto Enciallo. And, yeah, it's very hard to predict um, how your football finances are going to go. But, yeah, it's interesting when the, the next set of accounts come through um, and the FA Cup money comes in. Um, but, yeah, it's, a, it's interesting how, um, how Shrewsbury Town managed to not only have a good set of accounts and it's interesting actually over the last 10 years I would say Shooter Town fans you know fans particularly were you know we want a striker we want to sign players we signed Grant Holt um, about 10 years ago or so um, for like 250k we don't do that so much anymore uh, but it's really interesting you kind of I'd say you don't see Shooter Town fans um, complaining anymore about not signing and spending money and actually, when accounts come out um, and you know, the club makes decisions, the fans are quite proud of the, kind of the way the club is run. Um, fingers crossed one day we're going to have our day in the sun. Um, and you know, responsible clubs like Burton, Stanley and ourselves will actually benefit and maybe we can benefit next season. But we'll come back to COVID-19 maybe a bit later. Um, how many clubs in League One are, are like Shrewsbury and how many opposite way are running in the red? So that is a rough kind of estimate. How, how, how does the rest of the league look? Um, there's uh, about eight clubs that made a profit overall. Um, AFC Wimbledon made the biggest profit, but that was again on the back of some player sales. Yeah. Uh, there, there were some horrendous losses. Now, now I'm looking here at sort of the the 2018-2019 accounts. Here, Sunderland haven't published their accounts. I, I suspect no. they will make for interesting reading. But but overall. Um, the uh, the clubs in League One lost around about fifty million pounds in 2018-19. Um, some clearly a lot more than others, um, and and then there might be some surprises there. So you know, Bristol Rovers, you know, they lost over four million pounds. Um, you know, Charlton lost a lot of money, and you know, things of this nature. Uh, even though you might have thought, well, that club, I don't remember it doing anything spectacular. Um, no. But if you're losing, you know, 50, 60, 70, 80 grand a week, that's, uh, that, that's certainly a challenge for the owners. Um, when we've got a normal economy, and as I said, we, we will discuss COVID-19, COVID um, in, in the surreal environment uh, in which we're at present, those clubs which have been reliant upon those, those clubs which have weak uh, balance sheets, in my opinion, are looking very precarious. Um, there are clubs in the championship, which I'm aware of, which, which I can't name at present, which are very, very close to administration. Um, and and you know, the same is true in, in the lower league. So um, I, think, I think Shrewsbury probably had the second highest profits overall in League One last season behind, uh, behind uh, sorry, AFC Wimbledon. Yeah, that's interesting. I just find it um, bizarre. Um, I remember, I remember years and years ago we were trying to sign a player in Darlington, nabbed us, and then three months later they went to administration. Um, so it doesn't seem to, it doesn't seem as a fan, it doesn't seem that agents and players take into account the finance stability of the club. I think that's something that might happen a bit more, or do you think that's that happen at the moment? Um, I, I think that there is a uh, fingers crossed mentality in the game. And somehow it's going to muddle through. Uh, I appreciate you said you spoke about yeah, having your season in the sun, going 
back up to the championship. And, and I can remember as a, as a, as a fan going to, going to uh, the, the, old, uh, the old ground um, in, in that division. Um, clubs, clubs lose money. It's, uh, it, it's the, the championship, as I said, the yeah. uh, League One lose, lose, lost about 50 million. The championship, we're probably talking around about 600. And so you think, if you yeah. do that step up, it is going to be really tough. You've only got to look at the three clubs who are bottom of the championship at present. It's uh, Luton, Charlton and Barnsley. They're the three clubs that were promoted from uh, League One last season. It is developing into more of a yo-yo uh, relationship between League One and the championship than the championship and the Premier League. Yeah, do you expect, just because um, when Shrewsbury were in that um, famous Paul Hurst season for us, famous Paul Hurst season, and we were competing with Blackburn Rovers um, and um, I can't remember the other club, now Wigan, who lost substantial uh, money that season. It's all about wages, as we heard from the, the infamous cringeworthy Sunderland um, documentary, um, which I finished <laughs> the second season last night. I remember the first season they were talking about a wage bill of about 15 million. And where Shrewsbury's is probably about four, three, something like that, but in that, that kind of region. Um, do you see the gap between League One and the Championship getting bigger? Um, one, you've got the eight million gap in terms of EFL, Premier League, parachute money, whatever you want to describe it, um, that comes down. But yeah, when I see, we play Bristol City um, in the FA Cup. And to think that their chairman has ploughed like 100 million into their club and they effectively haven't gone anywhere. They're in the same place. Um, and I just worry that there's going to be a growing gap between League One and the Championship. And as you've mentioned already, yeah, we, we keep playing Rotherham every other year because they keep coming back. Yes, I, I agree with you entirely. And, and what we have, and I, I, again, I would use Rotherham as an example of a club which is really well run financially in League One stroke the Championship. When Rotherham get promoted, they increase their, their player budget slightly and they take that seven million, and they say, "Well, we will use that. Uh, we are, we're going to try to stay up, but we will also take that into consideration. Is that that will give us a, a great chance of returning to the championship in 12 months' time, should we not be successful?" So, um, increasingly, we're seeing clubs do what I would refer to as an air shot when they get promoted, in that they're not going to spend all of the additional money um, on players. Uh, they will spend a proportion of it, and they'll keep some back in reserve just in case things don't work out, and it gives them a head start in League One should they be relegated. And it's all about wages, isn't it? People talk about transfer fees, but... Um... Yeah, wages take up the biggest portion of, of clubs of clubs income and what's the kind of gap in wages between the championship so what's the average championship wage and what's the average league one wage well the the average uh, player in the championship is on sixteen thousand pounds a week um the average player in league one is on two thousand three hundred such so, a huge gap yeah the, the because what you've got in 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 the uh, in in the championship, you've you've got players being signed for ten fifteen million pounds, um, and what will happen is if an agent says, well, my client's just been sold for fifteen million pounds, um, you know, if he's signed a four year contract, surely he should be getting four or five million pounds himself, um, and you can't really say no to that. Uh, yeah, we, we all saw as you mentioned the the Sunderland Till I Die documentary. Um, I, I provided them with all of the data on Sunderland's uh, finances, and they were just insane. But the, the Will Grigg 
transfer signing, which which was pure David Brent. You know, I'm sure we all agree. It was just, you you were watching it, even though you've got no dog in that particular fight. You're probably watching that through through your fingers. Yeah, you know, it's just it's. it's yeah, I'd love to have seen the other side. So yeah, yeah I've, well, I've, what were the other side we, looking we, like? They must have been laughing their heads off. Oh, they they couldn't believe it. Um, and I know uh, I I teach football agents on occasion. Um, and they were telling me the details of the deal, and, and they couldn't believe it. Yeah, uh, that, and rumour has it we nearly signed Will Grigg in January, <laughs> and we wouldn't have paid over him. We wouldn't have paid anywhere near a million. Probably not. I think it was going to be a loan deal. We probably would have paid a fee, um, but yep. we decided not to do it in the end. But yeah, and it's um, yeah, it's hindsight watching that program was quite cringy because my wife, my wife's a, a football fan, and I then told her that he scored four goals. So, what's the return per goal on that? It's um, it's not particularly not particularly good. Well, that's right. He he was a player who had a great song about him. He was not yeah. a great player. Um, yeah. and also, I, I think uh, he did come to uh, the Stadium of Light with a huge weight of expectation. Yeah, and, and that can weigh down because ultimately you're talking about a young man. You know, and and you know, I I I don't know what it's like. You know, I I I, I teach if I if I got a class of over three hundred. You know, I get, a, oh, blimey, there's, there's a lot of people listening to me. Yeah. Well, if you've got 30,000, 40,000 people watching your every move, you know, that, that can be very intimidating for a young man. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I would never blame the players in all of this no. because sometimes... He wasn't fit, in, yeah. Form, there's, yeah, there's a, a, yeah, there's a guy called Graham who I know from the Roker Report who asked that question, why did you sign Will Grigg? He doesn't fit into the team. Um, mm. And yeah, I think that just goes back to... And again, goes back to actually quite a nice link back to Shrewsbury that there is a strategy in place. It's to sign managers like Paul Hurst, John Askey, um, um, Sam Ricketts, um, who have managed lower, um, to try and find players at a lower level, bring our own players through. Um, and it's, it's really interesting that, yeah, there's a lot of pride when... So there was an announcement um, last week that um, Shrewsbury uh, will not be furloughing any of their staff and they're paying um, wages uh, for April. Um, so is that is that quite uncommon at the moment? You think in League One, or is that you think it's going to change as each month goes by? Um, the majority of clubs will be furloughing staff. Um, what we are seeing is, uh, it, it, and it will increase, as, as you quite rightly say, as, as over a period of time, as clubs' finances continue to be increasingly challenging, they won't have any alternatives. Um, what, what I do think is interesting is that we have seen the story coming out this week. I mean, sort of until the start of this week, everybody was saying fixtures must be fulfilled. And you know, there was sort of a united front. And then after the decision that was made in the National League to effectively write off this season, um, but they've still not worked out how they're going to do promotion and relegation, which I find intriguing. Um, we are now seeing a few uh, club owners starting to uh, suggest that you know, there are more important things in life than football for 2019-20. For it is more important to have a club in existence this time next year. And, and therefore, the discussion of writing off the season is becoming more to the fore. Um, I think there's nothing wrong with furloughing in League One and League Two. No, I don't think so. Either. I would be have quite happy for Shrewsbury. Not happy, but I would accept it from a, from a fan of Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury's level. Um, not so much Liverpool or Tottenham, who have make um, millions of pounds worth of profit. Um, but yeah, um, from a League One club, I think it's quite acceptable with a turnover of less than ten million. Absolutely, uh, and uh, you know I, I do 
think that sort of community clubs, and, and I think Shrewsbury, yeah, I know Andy Holt at Accrington, I know Mark Palios at uh, Tranmere, they do amazing jobs. And, and I think, therefore, they see the long-term picture, and the long-term picture is that you will probably be benefit from furloughing if it ensures the existence of the club. Um, what we have seen over the course of the last 24, 48 hours, which is a, a, a further step, and, and what we will see is that you know things which we didn't think were going to be feasible a week or two ago will now come into the public domain. Um, it looks as if Oldham are going to furlough their staff, whereas if you take a look at the majority of League One and League Two clubs, everyone to date has said, we will furlough the players, but we will top up their wages. So effectively, the government pays the first eighty yeah. percent of that two and a half grand, and then the play, and then the club will uh, top up the remainder. Um, it appears that Oldham have said we will simply just take that furloughed money, and that's all you're going to get. And if you don't like it, you're you're going to be made redundant. Um, now, if you've got no players of value in the transfer market, actually, you can understand the logic behind them. But also, if you know anything about Oldham, it, it's, quite a, it's quite a toxic environment yeah. club. Um, clearly, the, the relationship between the owner and the fan base isn't a good one. Um, the way that managers have been accelerated in and then out of the club uh, is always a cause for concern. You know, the, the lack of continuity there. So it's not perhaps surprising, but it is indicative of clubs don't have any money. Uh, and... Yeah. Um, Listening to uh, Gary Neville yesterday, and I'm not a Manchester United fan, but uh, you know, Gary, Gary does talk a lot of sense at times. He was saying that as, as a League Two club owner, A, you've got the, the issue of if matches return, there's health and safety, you've got a responsibility towards the players. If, uh, if, if it's not fit and proper for fans to attend matches, if it's not health, if it's not a safety issue, uh, or rather, if it is a safety issue and, and a health issue, then surely the same has got to apply to the players. So therefore, you, you can't play matches unless you have a paying customers there as well. Um, so it, it's, uh, it's an intriguing position that we find ourselves in. But furloughing will become more and more common, and you will start to see clubs in the championship using it. I, you know, we've got, is it just Norwich and Newcastle? Um, in, in the Premier League. And if there's one club you'd expect to use furloughing in the Premier League, in fact, if there were two clubs, it would be Newcastle and Spurs. Um, yeah. and, and Spurs Spurs only reversed it. You've only got to look at their press release. They only reversed it because the bad publicity outweighed the, the value of the savings. Yeah. Which I think is... A... Yeah, it's interesting that one of the comments you made there, one is about the long term, obviously Spurs, I imagine Liverpool did it because of long-term impact on sponsorship and, and fan almost like hostility to further things. Obviously, saw Liverpool fans get upset when they tried to do a £70 or so ticket. Um, but it's really interesting that you really thought about, I didn't think about this before, that, yeah, obviously, talking finance and P&Ls, um, Shrewsbury Town have invested in a squad. Um, and obviously, we've got this really weird, complex situation coming up where a lot of contracts end um, on the 30th of June, I believe. Um, okay. But then, yeah, Shrewsbury have got Ollie Norburn. We've got, like, Roshan Williams. We've got um, quite a few players that have got time on their contract but also assets so it's going to be very interesting that every club is probably going to make decisions there's no going to be there's not going to be any sweeping statements or you cannot be able to generalize i don't think i think every single club is going to manage its situation in, in, in quite unique and different circumstances and different outcomes yes yes and, and you've you're also employing human beings 
you're, you're also employing you know sons and brothers and boyfriends and husbands and so on and i think that's what we we sometimes forget because as fans we see them as our possessions and we we want them to generate money for us and i don't and actually we, we, i think that there is that that danger of, of losing ultimately we there are human beings we're dealing with um but th there will be a financial issue um if uh, presently under fifa regulations if a club fails to pay a player his wages uh, his full wages for two months uh, consecutively, then the club is in breach of contract and in theory the player can walk away. Now if you have discovered some young talent if you've made some excellent signings and those players are worth you know, hundreds of thousands of pounds you know, perhaps seven figures um, then you've got to be very careful in how you manage that because whilst it might be good for your short term cash flow to uh, let, let the players effectively become redundant, let them walk away. Um, they are, you're, you're also losing the right to a fee. Now, it could be in the case of Oldham, they've assessed the squad and said, well, you know, we, all, all of our signings are academy and free transfer players. And that's what we do see in League One and League Two. It's, it's actually, people will be amazed at the number of clubs who do not spend any money at all in terms of transfer fees, you know, they're relying on loans, they're relying on, on uh, academy development, and, and they're relying on uh, Bosman signings as well. Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's true. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a bit of a challenge, us as a podcast as well, as of making any kind of statements. <laughs> you need to hold everything quite lightly, um, and everything you do record, including this, this podcast now, um, is going to be a stamp in time. And I already saw this morning, just before we were coming on, um, that the League One and League Two teams are looking for um, doing salary caps. And that was on the BBC website just before we started. So this is quite a, ch a tough question for you, Kieran. But do you think, well, I guess, firstly, do you think there'll be an impact of COVID on the EFL long-term? And I say long-term over the next five years, um, because football is just changed so quickly. Um, and do you think the EFL will, think any clubs will maybe potentially go to the wall, a bit like we saw at Bury? Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll sort of, first of all, in terms of salary cap, there is a salary cap in League One and League 60%, Two. 60%, yeah. That's There's right. It's a sense of um, revenue. But I mean, more, I think they were talking about uh, the fixed amount that you can't go over, uh, more of like an NFL salary cap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, an, an NFL-style salary cap, in my mind, would only work if you've got NFL-style revenue distribution yeah, between the exactly. clubs. You can't um, compare. You can't compare Accrington Stanley to Sunderland, for example. No, and and also Sunderland are in receipt of parachute payments. So yeah, they they start off yeah they they start off uh, this season with uh, fourteen million pounds of parachute payments coming in, uh, and they also have legacy um, tra uh, contracts from um, being in the Premier League uh, and also trying to get out of the Championship in the first season. So uh, salary caps, if it, if it's a hard cap in terms of a, of a value. Um, I think that's going to cause massive issues. And you don't think it, I don't. I don't think that would get signed off by the EFL or the or the owners either. But it's no. interesting that these kind of things, you never would have thought of these. You know, this kind of discussion wouldn't have happened. You know, was it eight weeks ago? You wouldn't have thought that these kind of discussions would be happening. And I guess, yeah, the word unprecedented has been used quite a lot. Maybe we'll have some unprecedented moves or rule changes because of this. Yep. Yep. So, um, so certainly salary caps. I don't think a hard cap will work for the reasons we've discussed. And also, if you take a look at uh, uh, Stoke City, uh, Tony Scholes, their chief executive, has said, 
we've got owners who just want to spend as much money as they want. What's wrong with that? Um, and you go, well, I'm not actually sure. You know, yeah. It, it, from it's a, a, from a competitive one. balance point of view, um, I can understand it. But that there, there isn't competitive balance in any of the leagues because you know, we, we are in a situation, if you look at the Premier League, you've got Manchester United and Bournemouth. Yeah, and if you compare their income streams, they're, they're ridiculously different. In, in the championship, you've got, you know, last year, Aston Villa lost £84 million in getting promoted and still satisfied FFP. Um, but, it, you know, they, they, they're billionaire owners. And at the bottom end, you know, we've, we've had the likes of Rotherham and Burton who have set a four or £5 million wage budget and stick stuck to it. Um, so I, I think that's, that's going to be a struggle. Uh, our clubs going to go to the wall uh potentially yes and and the reason for that is if the uk economy is going to contract by 35 percent and that now appears to be a figure which is being discussed in, in economic circles um all industries are going to be hit or rather nearly all industries you know, the, the, the food industry is not going to be hit because let's face no. it we're, we're all going to come out of this you know the size of michelin then and you, you know, what 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 happened to you during covid I, I started covid as an l and i came out as a double xl is going to be yeah that's that's my story of it um so anything in the entertainment industry and i, and I don't you know we, we think of football being a bit more highbrow than that but actually football is it in, is it's it in is, the entertainment yeah. industry um well if you if you talk to theater owners if you talk to publicans if you talk to uh, restaurant owners and so on they're they're all going bust left right and center so so why should football be excluded from that especially given the fact it's it is run financially on a wing and a prayer during the good times it's it's we go we go back we we, we we, we've forgotten what football was like, but at the end of February, before COVID kicked in, before the lockdown kicked in, Macclesfield Town and Southend United both failed to pay their wages. Now, if they can't pay their wages when they got the turnstiles clicking, and then and they're not alone in, in being in a really uh, precarious financial situation, when we move to a COVID environment, um, there's going to be far more clubs. Um, those clubs which have been run well um, and where the fans have been saying, oh, you've got to speculate to accumulate. And I think you said that, you know, historically, perhaps some Shrewsbury fans have been critical of the management style and the, and the business strategy of the club. Actually, so yeah, from what I see on social media, Shrewsbury fans are now really proud. Is it, is it Brian Cantwell? The... Yeah, Brian Cordwell is the, Brian yeah, Cordwell. Is, is, yeah, yeah. Is the, the MD, the CEO. Um, and yeah. we, had, um, we had Matt Williams, who's now at Burnley as well before him. Um, yep. And he did a really good job as well. But it all comes down to the chairman who had this vision to have a sustainable football club. He sold the Gay Meadow for at the height of the property boom for 13 million. And we built the new stadium with no debt, which is quite a remarkable feat. Um, yeah, he needs, he had, and there's like, you know, everyone, like it's really, it's phenomenal because, you know, quite a while ago, people were a bit critical because there was, he didn't communicate and all these kind of things. You know, we weren't spending money on, um, on, players but if i do a tweet from the saddlecast account he needs a statue you'll only get positive tweets now it's yep. really interesting how it how it's turned and yeah the guy's done an absolutely phenomenal job and they can't say he doesn't take any money out of the club he does it for his love of the club and he's a true custodian like 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 andy holt and and the burton overs um, and mr robinson as well yep um and uh 
I, I think you've got a, a right to be proud of the club. Yeah. It, it's, it's how do you turn and that's, that yeah. mentality in the fan base around? Because when I talk to, I've, I've had quite a lot of work to do with Newcastle and the mentality of the fans there is we want a sugar daddy. Yeah, and, and they're getting very giddy at present. Um, and I know that the local newspaper at, at Newcastle, um, it ran a poll um, are you concerned about being taken over by Saudi Arabia um, because of the human rights records, because of uh, you know, the attitude towards women, the attitude to homophobia? And so, things that, um, only 6% of fans were concerned. The rest were going, bring it on. You know, yeah. All they can see is the dollar signs. Um, and I think what's impressed me at Shrewsbury, and, and, and I can see why the fans have bought into it. And it's exactly the same. If you, when, whenever I talk to people from Accrington, again, their relationship with Andy um, is they're all, all those ducks are in the same row. Um, it's, we love our club. We know where we are in the pecking order of football. And if we have a bit of football fortune, good cup run, good promotion run, that's fantastic. But ultimately, it's the fact that on a Saturday afternoon, we know we're going to be here in one year, three year, five years, ten years time, and that means more to us. And I think that's 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 really good. Communication between clubs and fans and engagement um, is something which is is so lacking in many clubs. But when you do speak to people, and, and that's what I've, I've found, because because initially when I started doing the nonsense that I do and putting out all the data the reaction of everybody is you've got an agenda against my club because the numbers was universally atrocious. Yeah. Uh, but, it's, but if you do engage with people and you just say, well, okay, let's, let's just take a look. Let's have a discussion. You do quickly win pe people around. And I think, you know, and that's what Brian Cordell has done because he yeah. does videos whenever we have like um, Liverpool games. He, he, you know, he does talk quite frank, quite honestly, we've had him on the podcast as well. And he's, he talks very frank. And I think that's really helped the trust, you know, is it takes years to build that trust. Yeah. Uh, and we're definitely there. So my, my one final question. Um, so we've talked about how clubs are struggling with cash flow. Um, I read an article on the athletic that says that an, an elite football transfer fees met half. Um, do you expect um, wages in League One to to drop um, in the, over the next few years? Yeah, yes, I do. And, and, and the reason for that is ultimately um, we, we've got two issues as, as far as running a club. You've got income and costs. And the costs, which are the wages, are ultimately driven by the amount of income coming into the club. So we've got three sources of income. We've got match day, broadcast and commercial. Now, match day income is not going to go up because there's going to be people unemployed who can't afford to renew their season tickets. Clubs know that they cannot afford to increase prices as well because we're living in, in this post-COVID environment. You know, they're trying to attract people to come to the grounds. You can't do that if you increase prices. So match day income, is a, if, it, if, it's, uh, if it plateaus, you've done well. Um, if we look at the broadcast deals, um, the broadcasters have been pretty good to date. They've not asked for their money back. Um, and, and that's partly due to the fact that we've got a symbiotic relationship in football. Sky need football, football needs Sky, um, and, and you know, with BT Sport as well. Therefore, it's not in Sky's interest to ask for money back. At the same time, loads of people are either cancelling their size subscriptions or effectively they're furloughing, and that's what Sky have done, and you can understand why yeah, they don't want to lose the relationship. So Sky haven't got money in, they're not in a position to offer more money. So that's not going to work. 
third form of income is commercial it's sponsorship income well yeah we've just said the uk economy is going to tank by 35 percent um do you want to be seen even as a as a is a, a a national and international or even a local sponsor do you want to be seen to be signing a six or seven figure sponsorship deal with a football club when you've just made 20% of your staff redundant. You know, from a public yeah. relations point of view, A, you're not going to have the money, and B, yeah, the reason why you sponsor, because it makes you look good, well, it's going to make you look bad. So the money in football is going to go down. If, if the income goes down, then what you tend to find is the costs will follow. As far as League One and League Two is concerned, um, you'll know this better than I, Ollie, but practically every player is on a, a one or a two year contract. Yep. So there will be, there will be a thousands, will be probably at least a thousand players this summer on the 30th of June coming yep. out. Probably of more, maybe three, four thousand, something like that. It's going to be in League One, Two, and um, the National League, there's going yep. to be literally thousands of players being released. Well, na National League contracts, they finish on the 30th of April. And, and that's why they've actually cancelled the league because they they couldn't uh, afford to pay the players six uh, days and yeah they've not contracts. paid any outcome yeah. Um, all of a sudden, you've got you know, thousands of football players without contracts. That means that the relationship, you know, whenever you, whenever you negotiate a price for anything, you look at the relative power of the two people. You've got the you've got the employer and the employee. In the past few years, the, the power has switched towards the player. Um, and therefore, they've been able to negotiate, or their representatives been able to negotiate higher higher wages. What we will see post COVID is that the power shifts back towards the clubs because there will be so many players chasing so many fewer jobs. Squad sizes will be reduced, um, and with the clubs having less money coming in, wage wages will will fall slightly. I think not not hugely in League One too, but they they will go down. Um, Transfer fees will collapse because transfer fees are much more discretionary. And there'll be a lot of there'll be a lot of yeah demand and supply for players is going to be obviously favourable exactly. for clubs for clubs like Shrewsbury. And, and even if you go on to the Premier League, um, I, I think the the elite players will still be in demand because they're living you know they're, they're not world. living in our world. We know that. But even if you drop into the mid tier clubs in the Premier League. Uh, you know, the likes of you know, West Ham, Leicester, Palace, Brighton, Bournemouth, you know, those type of clubs, sort of the other 14, um, they might have been chasing two or three players in Europe. Now, what they might be able to still chase those two or three players, but one of the clubs that is selling is in financial distress, and therefore they might have been looking for 20 million, and now they'll take 12. So, yeah, so going to be fees will come down. There's going to be a lot of well, yeah. Even if you think, even if every championship club just trims their squad by three, that's a lot of players. Um, and there's going to be yeah. a lot of interesting conversations between Brian Caldwell at Shrewsbury Town offering a former championship player a, a contract, and that player's got to make a decision: do I go and play for Shrewsbury and pay just about pay my mortgage, but can't go on my holiday to three holidays to Magaluf and buy two new cars, or versus yeah, players from other divisions. It's going to be interesting how it progresses and. Obviously, we don't want any clubs to go. We don't want clubs to go, and we don't want people to be, you know, have issues of mortgages and payments and all that kind of stuff. But hopefully, in some way, Shrewsbury, Shrewsbury prudence um, can have um, a positive period over the next few years, and hopefully, we can have some kind of benefit for for, um, for financial good management. Yeah, and, and uh, Oli Gunnar Solskjaer said last week he spoke about Manchester United exploiting the the market. I, I think he chose his words clumsily yeah. 
but then you know his English is a lot better than my Norwegian, so I'm not going to criticise him for that. Um, if you are a club which has a strong balance sheet, as Shrewsbury do, is it Shrewsbury or Shrewsbury? Shrewsbury. Yeah, it's, it's both. Okay. It's, it's tech, well, the BBC say Shrewsbury. Um, some people say Shrewsbury, but then the masses, the people say Shrewsbury. Okay, Shrewsbury. Right. Sorry about that. Um, right. If Shrewsbury have got a strong balance sheet, which they do, then they are in a slightly better position than those other clubs in League One who have been sailing too close to the wind over the past three or four years, who perhaps have been relying on their owner. So you know, there's, there's one club in, uh, which is presently in League Two, I won't mention it because their owner sued me a few months ago, um, who, who was spending £157 in wages for every £100 coming through the door. Now, now it just so happens that he runs a nightclub. He ain't, he's, he's not got any money from his nightclub to subsidise the club at present. So, yeah. you know, and, and that, I don't wish ill will upon any football club because that community relationship uh, is, to me, is the core thing. It's yeah. the fact that it gives people that local identity. I think for especially elderly people who are living alone, you know, that, that once or fortnight trip to the ground, drinking with the same people, standing with the same people. I think the good that football does, that intangible good, is hugely underappreciated in society as a whole. And that's why I'm desperate for every club to survive. Yeah, we could uh, we could easily carry on for a lot longer. And I've got, I've got some interesting ideas in terms of, for me, I don't think that football clubs should be treated as like a normal company because they're not a normal company. We saw it with Barry. Um, you know, how many um, hearts are broken and as you say, you know, some elderly fans and just, yeah, I'm missing it myself, you know, I, I'm thinking I haven't seen one of my best friends, so I sit next to my friends or sit next to around me. Yeah, you see a lot of people on a daily, on a weekly basis when you're a football fan and yeah, it's a, it's going to be a very interesting time. Um, but yeah, in terms of following you, Kieran, how, how can people follow you and you do an excellent podcast as well, so that's worth listening to. Um, yeah, I, I run the, uh, I co-host the Price of Football podcast with uh, comedian Kevin Day. Uh, he's the guy that he's he's the guy that writes all the uh, the notes for the uh, the people that host. Have I got news for you and uh, the Mash Report and things of that nature? So I'm very lucky to to be working with a professional. So we so we look at uh, the finances of football, you know, all 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 the lunatic stuff, you know, the, the the clubs which are being sponsored by taxi companies that own no taxis, the clubs that are paying players' mothers hundreds of thousands of pounds to be academy scouts because that doesn't count for FFP. Just a pure coincidence, of course, not saying there's anything wrong with it. Um, and so, yeah, we, we do that twice a week and we're always asked looking for uh, answers uh, for, for questions from, from readers. Um, Price of Football on Twitter, effectively, at Kieran Maguire. Um, I've written a book which I'm advertising behind me. Um, if, if people are interested in all the nonsense in football, you know, amortization, financial fair play, uh, all that type of stuff, it, it's, it, it's effectively football finance for non-football people. And I'm going to do a quick plug here. All the royalties for that go to the Trussell Trust, which is the, the country's leading food bank charity. And it is in huge demand at present as a result of the pandemic. Yeah, no, I saw that. I retweeted that as well. And yeah, I'll retweet your details out. So yeah, and I guess I would just say to shoot, to football fans and of all any football club and Tuesday Town fans, you do have questions, do share them to Kieran because yeah, you do cover them on the pod or you're very active on Twitter. So um, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for yeah, um, shining a light on this. I think it's very interesting. Uh, and thanks for your time today. It's been it's been fantastic having you on the podcast. Thanks very much for the invite and. 
good luck to everybody. Stay safe, stay indoors, and look after yourselves. Cheers, guys. Oh,